Welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, who is back from a little bit of time away, Liam Morgan. Yeah. We had a little break from the show, didn't we? We did. Holidays. I went to a wedding. Mm. I went to an Irish-Jamaican Yorkshire wedding. Ooh. That was a great day. Very nice. Very That's good. an eclectic That was a party <laughs> and a half. But yeah, great. Great to see some real human beings. Long way from surf, though. It was inland. Beautiful countryside. Obviously, I'm biased because Yorkshire is a wonderful county. But yeah, great day out. We missed recording this show for a week. That's our first week off, I think. We did. And I did miss it because I genuinely enjoy coming up and recording because it's just chatting about what we love. Yeah. It just flows because we're not, I mean, we take notes. Obviously, we have a bit of structure, as you guys know, from the segments. But we um, we talk here just like we would, you know, in any other situation. And that's what we love. And I, I think we, we got to a crossroads near the beginning of the show, didn't we? Yeah. About whether or not we do, you know, guests mm. and whatever. For us, we went with our gut, which was, was telling us that actually just sitting together as two friends and, and talking had more of that positive vibe to it and the yeah. enjoyment. And, and in the end, it was about joy because that was what we were enjoying more. And so, shit, guys, if you're listening to this, and geez, you don't need me to tell you this because we all know this to be true. But if you follow the joy, there's something in that always. Always following the joy. Always follow the joy. And I think, you know, there are shows out there that do some great guests as well. And we don't want to, you know, compete with those guys. They do some brilliant interviews, like, you know, ads at the Grumpy Surfer and the UK Surf Show. And some of the US shows, uh, like the lineup with Dave Proden, does some brilliant guests. So you can hear that. We probably will, just so you you know, as this interlude of uh, chatting about what we're going to do with the show. We might have some more guests connected to body, mind and like nutrition over the course of the next year, but they'll come in as and when we're, well, when they're ready to share their thoughts as well. It totally is, dude. I think when we're traveling with the show and we're able to have surfs and hang out with people and get to know them and et cetera, et cetera, that's where I think you get the high vibe guest scenario and and the recording is is right there in person. And it's why when you, I mean, you listen to this, you're obviously into podcasts, um, or maybe this is the first podcast you've ever listened to, I don't know, but... The thing about those shows you listen to, those top, top ones, and I'll use, let's say, for example, Joe Rogan yep. as an example, Aubrey Marcus, yep. or a lot of the, the surf shows, Surf Splendor is one, is that what they're doing is they're getting to know the guests and they're getting some rapport going pre-show and it's in person. And we all know that when you're in person with someone, it's just a whole different feel to it. It, it is. And we were on the UK Surf Shows show, weren't we? And we sat on the beach... And we just had it out. It was brilliant. It was. Because you can look each other in the eye. It's a real human conversation. You know, yeah. we, we've been in this, and hopefully we're, we're coming out of it properly now, in this kind of world of Zoom and, uh, you know, Skype and all of the video conferencing that goes on. And there is a lot of value to that in terms of keeping a relationship going or keeping a conversation going and actually seeing people as part of it. But there is no substitute. I think we're humanists, aren't we, you and I, in terms of the sort of soul-to-soul connection that comes from being in a physical presence and having energy shared as well as uh, actually eyeballing someone is a vital part of human well-being and, and existence. Whether you're doing that over a surf or over a coffee, it's very important that we don't forget our ancestral roots in that respect and sitting around in each other's company and sharing stories and sharing vibe is what we're all about. And Mm. if that disappears from life, then what a sad state of affairs, you know? We don't all want to retreat. Some people may, but I certainly don't want to retreat behind a screen for the rest of my life and never have any human interaction. 
we're a wonderful species when we do things with a good vibe and a good heart. So true. And in surf, a joy shared is a joy doubled. hundred percent. And you, oh man, it's just, you know, when I have those surf, we have those surfs. And if it's really on and there's just a few of you in and it's mates and, or let's say you've gone traveling and, and let's say it is busier, but you're just with that friend and you're surfing with them or friends. It's something so special about that. If a friend sees you get a wave and you've had that kind of wave and it all comes together in that same moment, it's so special. There's still something really sacred about solitude of course as well uh, that's to be uh grateful for and it's an amazing thing and you have those surfs on your own a lot and, and listen let's be really frank and honest um in our lifestyles so many of our surfs have to be just on your own it's just the way it goes there's so much um restoration is the word i'd use that can be had with that because you, you're just with your own mind and that's that is a meditation in itself it is it's just that the stoke aspect that buzz aspect is just missing that little bit and i can't even describe what it is in a way because it's primal it kind of goes into your DNA. We would have sat around campfires after a day's hunting and gathering, knowing that we're all in this thing together and, and have done that for millions of years. And that's so ingrained in us, yeah. in our DNA. And it's why, and we said this many times on this show, that it's why it's so important that you find that good, hey, this, wait, listen to this, that good vibe tribe, that good vibe tribe that you can be around your surf lifestyle. Always. And, I, and, and that's, you know, loneliness, the studies show, is a bigger killer than a lot of the, you know, even I think cardiovascular health over time. You know, if you put any uh, social creature in solitary, that's why solitary confinement is a punishment in places that are, you know, where you're incarcerated if you're in prison. You need the presence of other humans to thrive over a long course of time. You know, I hope the communal living, if you like, in society and embracing other people literally and metaphorically is something that doesn't disappear with the advent of all of the technology that we sort of technological era that we're living through and the fear that comes from having had a pandemic you know that you have the chance and the understanding to see that life is for living you know it's not about the length of it really although we talk about longevity as well it's about the depth of it and that depth is uh, brought about by having real human connections with, importantly, people who are genuinely interested in your well-being and who have your best interests at heart and who are happy for you when the good times are rolling, but they're also genuinely there for you when inevitably you hit the lows as well. It's making sure, uh, who is the dude that says it? you, you like a lot of you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time yeah, with? Yeah, Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn. So you take that Jim Rohn quote and you say, who are my best vibe tribe? Um, and how do I get the most out of that? And so, yeah, human connection is a big thing. And in fact, that can be old friends. It can be new friends as well. I mean, we had, bringing it back to surfing and vibe and humans, we went to the Bristol Wave. I we missed the week after that to talk about that experience. That's so true. My God, well remembered. Yeah. I didn't even have that in the notes today. My goodness. Yeah. What a day. Great, great day. So if you're listening to this abroad... This is our English yeah. uh, wave garden. Yeah. It's one of them. It's our most famous one. It's the best one, mm. I think. The, the other one is brilliant. Well, Snowdonia. That looks great in it, some respects. It does. Different. It does. Much shoulderier. Yeah. Much, much more. Although, actually, having said that, it looks more like a burger, like a real yeah. mellowy. But it might be amazing for developing cutback technique. Mm. Whereas the Bristol wave, where we are nearby yeah. and we surf, is a real slashable, rippable sort of. But we're going to talk about this now because just to mention, yes, if you're abroad 
ours is the Bristol Wave. It's the Wave. Check it out. It's the Wave Garden technology. That's correct. And this is the third time that we've been. We surfed twice on this day. I I was on the phone to my buddy, great friend Tiago. If you're listening, thank you so much for this because he. I said to him, "So look, mate, I, I can only do one. Isn't two just cost-wise, timing, loads of things." And he went, nah, I'll just, there you go. Come on, let's, I'll get you the second one. Come on, I really want you to do two. And I was like, oh, flipping out. Generous on. soul. Go on then, let's do two. And we did the advanced left at 11 and the advanced right at one, I think, with a break in between. The stoke was off the charts. Mm. They pump out 13 waves. I did what's called a double. So I got second wave on four or five mm-hmm. on the first session. So that's 17, 18 waves per wave, two to three or four maneuvers. We worked out when we left. So I would have had, or we would have had 35 waves, okay, over 100 maneuvers. In a normal surf session, to do 100 maneuvers would be out of the question. Yeah. And what's amazing is with, you know, wave park, wave pool, wave garden surfing, whatever you want to call it, the workout is remarkable. I was so hungry that night. Yep. God. I think it was also trying to get that second set on the initial one they pumped out. I kept trying to quickly catch that second bit that was coming through. How did you feel on the day, dude? Well, I just wanted to address one question that people ask either through DMs on social as well about and in conversation when you speak to, you know, some of our local mates as well about, you know, is it as good as surfing a beach or a reef or whatever? And it is different. There's no question. And it's a philosophical thing that throws up with wave pools, isn't it? About, is it a spiritual man? And you know me, I'm into sort of spiritual side of surfing. That's why I'm sat doing this podcast. But in a way, it isn't the same, but there are things that come from it because you're still riding energy. You're still in a, in a body of water. There's an immersive experience that are still deeply flow state inducing. And in some ways more so and thrown into that just what we were saying earlier about be with a good vibe tribe. We've been lucky, I think, in, or maybe this is just a vibe that I get a sense around. The, there's a good vibe around the whole complex at the wave, isn't there? People are feeling high, good, of all levels, surfers. It's hard to be totally an ego. Egos are present because everybody's watching what you're doing. So there's no question about that. But there's a sense that everybody's kind of wants you to get the best wave there and it's organized and there's a queue. So there's a collective, unlike some lineups that you'll go and join, of like, what, is it 15 to 18 uh, surfers or bodyboarders in the lineup, and in, literally in a lineup, it's a queue. So all eyes are on you, but the energy of all of those surfers, yes, there's some nerves in there, but it's a high energy, isn't it? The vibe's high. So I think that kind of contributes to the, for me anyway, that's my personal experience of sense of feeling. Because we were with like, you know, Paddy and Adam and Tiago, and you sat, you know, so there's five of us surfing that wave. There's a kind of collective kind of uh, tribe vibe in there as well. So you're all kind of hooting and hollering each other along. And then it's challenging in part. To wait. For me, at my level, it's just, there's still some challenging sections. to, And you, you're kind of halfway between wanting to try stuff and also not wanting to try stuff because you want to get the most out of each wave. It gets you to that point where the difficulty is what you make. It can be high enough to induce the flow state. And the exercise is endorphin generative enough to make it feel like a workout as well. So I'm hugely, hugely positive about the wave pool experience having done the third time. And it was the best one because you've thrown in all of those factors. You've had some previous experience of the other settings. You kind of know what you're going to get. So you're relaxed enough to enjoy it, but you're still challenged enough to get the flow state. So true. 
what I found really interesting as well was that we had, you always get this with the Wave Garden, is that you get photos afterwards. But we had photos done from Paddy, this guy, this great friend, Paddy, who is a photographer. And he took so many snaps of us on the left. And it is amazing how when you look at yourself on a wave, there's just this really bizarre vortex you go into of how does it look? Yeah. Is it good enough? Where's the spray? Is my rail out? You know, what am I doing? What's, how, where's my hand? Oh my, oh, it's, <laughs> there was a couple of bottom turns that I looked at where I almost had to look away a little bit because <laughs> they were just awkward as hell and really cloggy. I'd call it my, Ollie uses that word, doesn't it? So it's real, real cloggy turns where your body isn't at perpendicular to the board. It's with the board. It's sort of, it's a term where your body goes with the board and the nose of the board in that sense. It just doesn't look as radical at all. There were a few that, that were much more radical and I was, I was really happy with them. But what's really interesting is, and we've said this many, many times, but we will not stop mentioning this message because it's so powerful and there's, there could be, never be a time in our surf lives to the day we die where we don't need to hear this message. And it's that it does not matter how it looks. What matters is how it feels. And on the day, it felt so good. It just so happens, though, this was really interesting and also humbling, something we can really take on here, that when it felt its best, it probably looked its best too. Yep. And therein lies the challenge. Because when you know that to be true, how can you stay so focused on what you're doing for the feeling that you end up doing your best looking surfing? Yeah. To other people, to the camera, to whatever else is going on when you want to see it yourself on film or on camera. And I had two or three there where I could, I knew I was in my biggest flow on that wave. I was just so focused and I had my feet in the right place and I, I didn't rush the wave. It's always when you slow it down, you know, I slowed it down, concentrate on just timing and patience, timing and patience, and then put everything you have into it. If it doesn't pay off, at least you tried. Yeah. Those kinds of turns. You know, if you're going to really go for a turn, go for it, man. Yeah. Like absolutely leather it and put all of your swing weight into it. If you can suddenly then complete it and you land it and it all just happens. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? And so don't leave anything out there. And we've said this before. I think one of the things about wave parks is because you're paying for it. It adds a very interesting psychological element to the sport of surfing that we don't normally have, which is that <laughs> if you stack it on that wave, trying this new thing or really going for a turn and putting your best surfing forward, you then go, ah, that was a fiver. Well, it's a dilemma. <laughs> I, I spoke to one guy there actually who said exactly that, and I relate to it massively as we, we were talking. He said, I have so much stuff I want to try, but I don't want to waste the wave because I've paid for it. And I felt the same that, you know, in my ears at the moment, I've got obviously the stuff that you and I have gone through from the beginning of this uh, surf, return to surfing for me journey. And then I've got the, I've always got like Clayton from Ombi's voice in my head about leaning and getting your hands in the right position. I know sometimes what I want to try, but getting it into practice during the chaos of taking off, being watched and all that is where it's at. But going back to the thing about photographs is there was a weird time when my surfing was progressing, but in my head, I was a better surfer than I actually was. You know, so you, you'd challenge your ego. When I would look at pictures and it would really punch your ego hard and it would feel, it would hurt, you know, to look at that. You would, if you were going to post anything, you want to make sure you've cropped it or edited it to look. And I'm still, there's an element of this in me today that you go, oh, what's the best looking picture? Of course. 
But the more we've done this, Will, and you have these chats about dropping the ego, you look at those pictures that uh, like Image Cabin take and, and Paddy took of the day, they become a, a learning tool. Because of course, we always say the most important thing is how does it feel? And the whole day felt amazing. When I took those photos away, having talked a lot about surf coaching and then listening to what Clayton's saying at Ombi about leaning and that sort of thing, is you can see where, let's say, yeah, where the things that were going wrong. But when you have an awareness in the same way mindfulness, when you have an awareness of what you're thinking or what you're doing, and if you're aware of those things in a very non-judgmental way and one that doesn't sort of bring you down and ruin the experience because you think you've had a good surf and you look at the pictures and your ego's damaged, so you, you ruin it for yourself. But if you come at it from a place of growth and wanting to improve, you can look at those things and say, I'm aware of the things I need to do better to improve the next session, which means, hey, presto, I might get more flow out of the experience, which is then a virtuous circle of enjoy, look, learn and improve, you know, and you go, wow, that's now where I really want to be. And thank to Paddy for taking all those shots because he sat out from the left, didn't he? that we've got stuff to work with now that you go, yeah, my my arm isn't coming round as I thought it should be because I've been listening to Clayton and I know it should come round, but in that picture it's not. So if I think about pulling that round the next time, maybe the turn will be more complete. Like you say, it's different on the, in the sea because you're not paying a five or a wave or whatever. And sometimes, you know, it's both better and worse, but you can try things a little more easily. But it certainly gives you the same canvas to go again and think, okay, next time I'll I'll bring my arm round a lot more. And the ones where you go, wow, that I like that shot, it's when you are doing the right-hand position or the leaning and, right, and the looking in the right way. It's, it's fascinating, actually. It's a, it's a weird sort of mix of, I've had a great time, but I also want to improve, so I'm going to look at those pictures and I'm not going to beat myself up about the fact that some of them look kind of skooky for where I thought mm. I was, but it's just it's amazing for learning. So cool. One thing I found with the wave, and I'm sure this is uh, not true for all wave gardens, certainly that I've seen around the world, I'd say maybe most. The Kelly one, you can't even compare. And the one in Western Oz, yeah. the one that Oki got the, going. The, like the Mad Max the, one. With, with the Mad Max middle, like yeah. the plunger. There's certain waves around the world, you know, wave guards around the world that are just pff, full pumping waves. Yeah. This one, you don't produce much spray at all. Your turns, you can't quite lay your rail in like you would on a, an open ocean wave. And I think what it is, is because you're in a, in a wave pool, there's just no, um, there's so much less energy just mm. in the wave. I think with the Kelly one, the technology that's there pulls a vast amount of energy into that wall. And so the wall itself is, it's there and you can lay your, a bit like an artist and paint the textures you want to paint yeah. on that lip and just put that rail on. Relaying things on rail at the Bristol Wave is, is actually really challenging. I can put a board reasonably well on rail. We've talked about this before. Yep. And so from 15 years, and I can put in a pretty nice power carve if I want to. And I've seen lots of surf photos of me over, over many years now on different trips and places. And I know I surf better today than five, uh, 10 years ago. And photos from five, 10 years ago, I've got much more spray than the ones I've had at the Bristol Wave so mm. far. So it's keeping that in mind too. And because that's what it's done to my mindset is I've looked at some of them and gone, wow, am I. Am I getting worse? And I know in my mind I'm not. So this is what's really interesting is it's why it's so important that you really do base things on how things feel. If your surfing feels better year by year, it's getting better. That, I think, is a sort of quote. I think. I mean, listen, I'm, there's me quoting myself here. But if I was to have a, to have a quote that I own a mantra that I wanted for myself that helped me know I was getting better yeah. is does it feel better? 
Do you know what? I heard a, a clip from um, Jordan Peterson who, you know, polarizes opinion in some areas, but I think some of the things I've heard him say in this, well, I'm about to sort of quote, are very smart, is that what we sort of do within all areas of our life, particularly in the social media age, but reference to surfing in many ways, we compare ourselves to other people. You know, that whole thing about comparison being the thief of joy. And in comparing yourself to other people, it doesn't matter who you are, there will always be someone out there that is fundamentally more practiced than you, more skilled than you, stronger than you, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to insert in terms of where you're gauging your improvements, you cannot be the best in the world. And if you are, and you happen to be the best in the world, Kelly Slater, for example, there's always somebody that will come along who is better than you and in different aspects of the life that you're comparing. It's a sort of false, if you like, comparison. When you look at it, you, you also don't know what's going on in their life as well. So setting aside the actual skill level that you're comparing, you don't know what they've gone through to get there. You don't know what they're going through on a daily basis. Their life might not be better than yours. But what you can do, and this is where, Will, what you say is absolutely rings true. And this is where this quote thing hit me. The person you can become better than day by day is yourself. You can be, with incremental improvements, be better than the Will or the Liam or the insert, you know, the Jill or the Jane that you are today. You can be a better person tomorrow. And each day is an opportunity to either grow, learn, or reset, reset the button and reset the canvas. And just because where you are today is you know, kind of all right, doesn't mean you can't be better tomorrow. And equally, it also means if you don't do the practice and the um, work, you can also drop off. So the only person to ever, ever compare yourself to, and this is a work on fraud, is yourself, mm. fundamentally, because that's the benchmark. It's so true. I've done for years, I've done this unconscious comparison of myself to others. I do it with people's snaps because I know mine is my snapping to my board is the weakest element of my surfing. And I look at yours, I look at my brothers, uh, Toby in particular, if you listen to this, Tobes, and Tiago, in fact, who was there on the day, a uh, great friend, Tiago. And I look at people who snap well mm. and go, oh, fuck, I just, it's so laboured and I, I don't find my sweet spot straight away on these things. You can use comparison, like you said, dude, in two ways then. One, you can let it eat into you in that way. And take away some of the joy. In fact, a lot of the joy, like we said before, that quote, Tony Robbins, comparison is the thief of joy. Or you can use it as fuel to self-reflect and go, okay, well, what can you do now to work on your snap? And I've, I've gone away and worked on my press-ups and worked on my core and that push power, that push strength. And it feels better. Now, is it the same level as yours and someone else's? I don't know. And I doubt it. And I, it doesn't, the point is it doesn't even matter. Because what matters is, like that quote we said, is if it feels better, if your surfing feels better, it's getting better. Yeah. And dare we ever compare that to someone else? And if it's been better, if you're whatever it is, so if it's talking about surfing, if it's a snap, it's a cutback, it's a floater, it's a critical maneuver, even if it's standing up on a board, if it's better than you yourself were yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, then you've, you've grown doesn't have to be better than the person you're comparing it to. You can learn from their techniques, of course, but if you then apply it to your own graph of where was I and where am I today, that's the thing to compare yourself against is who or what you were yesterday or last year. Very nice, dude. There we go. Very nice indeed. We had a great time. It was so good. It Thank you to everybody there. Just a serious buzz, wasn't it? Good vibes, good stuff. And again, I, I think that's what I say. They've created something out of nothing there that is giving people at all levels of surfing, 
something good. So well done to the engineers who came up with the tech and Nick Hounsfield, I think, is the guy that brought it to the UK first, you know, that technology. Well done. We talked, just before we move on, we talked about if we won the lottery. <laughs> yeah. You have to win a serious bit of cash here. But if you won the lottery, I'll mention what I would do. For, so I would build the wave part, but just which one? So I would do, it's a real toss-up between doing that wave garden mm. where you get loads of sets, loads of fun, playful though. Never really like, you're never going to get your, whoa, oh my God, I just had a, a one of waves of my life. Whereas the Kelly pool, yeah. the Kelly wave pool, you will get waves of your life type stuff, but you get far fewer. Well, if and you, you can cop it. Yeah. It's a real toss-up. But I think in the end, I probably would go Wave Garden because you could invite your friends. It could be a whole vibe of everyone just getting loads and loads of waves. Kelly won lots of people. Away. Apparently, it's a long wait. So it's only one wave every, I think it's like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, 10 uh, well, minutes or something like that. Well, there's two things. If the Kelly technology, that's a critical carving. Yeah. It's, well, barrel it's, it's a full barrel. It's everything, barrel. isn't it? Yeah. If it's your own wave and you just invite your mates around to surf it, then I think that's the one, isn't it? But if you're opening it up to other people, the wave garden technology is good. The other thing is, yeah, it's how it's pretty gnarly the Kelly one, isn't it? I, you know, there's, there's something about that that I look it, at and go, "Oh, would I be able to surf it?" Yeah, probably, but definitely makes you heart, yeah, pump, doesn't it? That's a serious barrel. But even the wave garden, dude. You know, the one thing to say about it, if you're going to go, maybe take my kids there, but is that, that it's shallow these sections. Yeah. And when the sun's shining on the water, you, you realise how shallow that water is, and uh, there's a few moments where it's only through obviously very well managed but there's some chaos sometimes it's only through look that nobody's even getting a board in the face or <laughs> or, or hitting the hitting the reef it's true it is true yeah it's super shallow but yeah we would do it fucking in yeah. a heartbeat oh my god Can you well, well, win also, the lottery? hey the good news is there was a guy there talking about this because we for a long time have said this is a 26 million quid project to build this so you have to win a few lotteries or the euro millions to get that but here is the devil is in the detail there was one dude there that worked for them, I think, was saying, actually, the, the, it was all, the whole thing cost $26 million to build. The technology in the pool is a bargain at £3 million. So what's that, $5.5 million or something? So Whoa. now that becomes within touching distance of some fairly rich people. So if anybody's listed <laughs> uh, and they want to build us a wave pool. Matt Biolos. Matt Biolos, surely. He's got With your million. lost empire. Yeah. You can start just giving away wave pools yeah. to yeah, he w- pe- people Those that you like. Those idiots want me to build a wave pool now. <laughs> How cool would that be? Dude. Oh. I'd never, ever leave my house if I'd been in my garden. <laughs> no, but my point I was going to go on to, because this has been a long intro today, I just really want to finish it. What's amazing with it is if you had a wave pool, you would eventually get bored. And that's a really, really bizarre idea for us as surfers to, to imagine, that you would adapt we, as humans, it's what we fucking do. We adapt to our environment. No matter what low, what high, whatever in between happens, you go back to the middle. It's called your subjective well-being. You, you can't expect a high to be a high <laughs> true. and be a high. Because the whole point in it being a high was it had to come from somewhere. So it had to come from subjective. It had to come from that neutral grounding for it to be that stoke. So if you could access that high all the time... Well, not only on a biochemical level, you would burn those neuroreceptors. If you got an endorphin like that and a dopamine like that over and over and you had it on tap all the time, you just burn that receptor out and you would, you'd eventually have to have a, a fucking, you'd have to go cold turkey yeah. and come off it. But also, even the high itself wouldn't be so high. So not only would you have to take quite 
like structured breaks from the pool. He'd be looking at you and you'd be going, oh, we could just, guys, we could just yeah. crank it up. Yeah. <laughs> How high does that work? Imagine you'd be like fucking, you'd plan your whole life, but, but, but eventually you'd adapt. And it's really amazing that, like, I think as surfers, we get, of course we get down about when the waves are shit or whatever shit is or flat or when we've been injured and time away from it and da, da, da. Except we all need to have, and I'm talking to myself here, that moment of when you go without when you then get, there's something special in that. We have to have uh, famine to enjoy the feast. That's, that's how life. That's how it works, man. That's Just how, how they, it works. That's how the universe is programmed. I used to, very many years ago when I was living in Sydney and getting the manly to circular key or circular quay, as the Americans would sometimes call it. Probably being unfair there, I'm making that up. You know, you go home, I've said this before, and you, you, everybody's like, I'm on this ferry as this kid from like industrial town in the north of England looking around going what the fuck this is amazing and there's people sat reading a newspaper <laughs> and i'm going how can you not look at this every day and just be not and it's because familiarity kicks in doesn't it and you you just it's like yeah it's a great view but i see it every day i don't need to look at it every day you forget to embrace it and maybe people would come around you've got the wave pool in the garden there's just like algae growing green stuff on there and <laughs> inflatables floating around looking really sad like, <laughs> i'm so surprised you didn't say pubes then but there will be a fair few dude not mentioning anyone's bush but just Block, saying blocking the filter there'd be some serious pubes in there but it would and there's a lovely um marcel proust quote on this very topic which is that and this i'm paraphrasing this so don't don't quote me exactly word for word but, but man's quest is less about seeking new landscapes but more seeing them through new eyes. Oh, yeah. Très bon, Marcel. Très bon. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. So the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Moving on. Segment two. That was a good intro. Oh, segment number got, two. It's because um, we've been away. We haven't, we've been away. Uh, we haven't spoken to each we, other for a week. I know. <laughs> we've been away. It's, it's, it's full, full surf therapy. The mindful surfer. Just a couple of moments, just to check in with your breathing. Bit of breath work here. So, breathe in through your nose for four, and breathe out for eight. Breathe in for four. And breathe out for eight. Breathe in for four. On this one, just hold your breath. Focus on what you can see while you hold your breath. And breathe out. And last one, take a deep breath in through your nose for four seconds. Breathe in one, two, three, and four. Just hold your breath. Keep noticing what you can see around you. Just bring your focus into the present moment. And breathe out as slowly as you can. I was with a client this morning training them on how to breathe diaphragmatically. What I've noticed in my career 
is that when someone experiences a lot of internal, so we'll call that dietary, uh, mindset related, as well as external, and we'll call that um, you know your work, family scenarios, where you live, etc. Stress, so internal, external stress. When someone experiences a lot of it, they are poor at taking diaphragmatic breaths. And what I mean by that is drawing air in through the whole body. So through the diaphragm, through the ribcage. There seems to be a distinct lack of capacity to do that. We've said this many times in the show, but we can either be in that fight or flight state, that go, 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 or we can be in that digest and rest state, that kind of calm, chill place. The question becomes, does breathing allow us to stay in that calm place even when we are go, go, go? And the answer is yes. Your breathing, this is fascinating about the body, your breathing overrides your environment if you get so good at it that you can consistently keep it there. Now, what I mean by that is this. If you're in the surf and it's, it's getting stressful and it's getting busy and you're tired and you've had a busy day or you've just come back from an injury or let's say there's anything on your surf that's pressurized it slightly, which is very common, added a new element to it, new edge to it, etc. There's going to be that environmental stressor, let's say. So it's very easy to get into that go, go, go and start forcing stuff and forcing your surf session. We've all done that. You know, you start forcing turns, fall off. You start forcing getting a wave because you're in a busy lineup and it seems like wherever you go, you just can't fucking get one. We've all been there. Whenever you're trying to force it is because the reason why it's not working is because you are still in this go, go, go sympathetic nervous system state. You're using your your sort of I need to get the washing up done. I need to get the kids to school. I need to get those emails written. I need to make sure I've got the bills paid. I need to fix the car. You're in that state and you've taken it unconsciously into the ocean. And it is the easiest thing to do, especially if you're a, a, what we call a type A, you know, where you go, go, you know, you're very on it and you love to be really busy and whatever. For anyone that gets wound up and stressed out, obviously surfing helps. Geez, we talked about this many times. It's a backdoor into mindfulness. If you just want to get to that next level in your surf experience, that's more waves. It's surfing them better. It's all, it is the mind. There is absolutely no doubt that it comes back to the mind. And that is accessed, that calmer mind, that mind that's more present, that allows for things to happen, waits for the sets that come to you, does turns, but completes them, doesn't force them, is more patient on the wave, etc. That mind is a mind that's being created through a breath that is deep, it is diaphragmatic and it's got that rhythm to it. Breathwork is taking off like never before. And, and there's, there's a number of people out there who, who are discussing it in great detail yeah. like never before. We've done plenty ourselves in the gym, haven't we? I've, yeah. taught, I've been teaching a you lot, yeah. a lot on the, on, on the breath stuff. We talked about the oxygen advantage, yeah. Wim Hof, um, various techniques, mindfulness techniques. For you, what breathing technique has helped you the most, do you think? Well, I think firstly, it's interesting that this is where we find ourselves as well, because some of the things that we touch upon or talk about or connected to like mindfulness and wellness are almost ancient practices that have been forgotten by the race for a more chaotic life. And almost that the chaotic life is the successful life. It's kind of what we were sort of taught, you know, Greed is good, success never sleeps, all of this stuff. And in fact, success sleeps a lot because that's where you get restoration repair, success eats well. And what is success if it isn't thriving in life rather than just, you know, 
throwing in stuff, not enjoying your food, not enjoying your breathing, not enjoying your experience of being alive on this wonderful planet. So that's the place that you think about when we talk about breath stuff and, and like nutrition and wellness, you go, actually, some of this stuff is just a re- reminding ourselves of what it is to be human, me included. Uh, and that's why I sort of reference that then, because you go from this place where you kind of instinctively know to take calming breaths or deep breaths, but society, the world, work, stress, anxiety all takes over. And that can be either in the sea when it's gnarly and big and or when you're in a stressful work environment. Almost you have this ability in a way to reset for free the stress clock, if you like. It takes practice. It's breath work practice, isn't it? It's a re-engagement of that diaphragmatic breathing. You have to kind of become aware of. And for me, it sort of works both in ocean and out of ocean. And I had to actually get more into it in the sea because that's where I was going through some other highs and lows of even though surfing for me was an incredibly mindful practice. There were still times when it got stressful, you know, personally stressful in terms of bigger wave conditions. It's only when you stop and take those breaths and calm your nervous system. Weirdly, it all seems easier. And the people you see out there having a better time or whatever, or it looks easier to them, are probably the ones that have got that dialed. You're all in actually the same ocean in the, at the same time in the same space. But it's how your body and your mind's reacting to that that determines the experience you have of that session. I'm talking to myself. You can take that into what is, you know, the real world, let's call it, and do the same thing. It's like being sat in traffic, isn't it? And it being a mindful experience. You can either get upset about it and become anxious and start to become stressed. And, and therefore your breathing goes right up into the upper, almost respiratory sort of system. Or you can accept it and surrender, as the old snarl-up guys would say, jokingly, but there's a truth in this, and deep breathe, and suddenly the stress factors go away. Yeah. And weirdly, at times, they're not really there. Mm. You can, through the opposite of breath work, you can create a stress that isn't there. That's what it's almost so, the panic attack So true. We do create, we create them. Yeah. We do, in how we react. I find it fascinating how yin and yang work within humans yeah. that masculine and feminine energy and, and the question becomes how much breath work does someone really need when they're already in that you know let's say they're naturally calm let's yeah. say they're naturally kind let's say they were born um very patient that kind of person and you look at that person and go oh yeah well they wouldn't need mindfulness because they're very yin they're very they've got a great amount of feminine energy and all these things and the answer is no. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Because what breathing work does is always bring you to center. Center is a place we're all trying to get to yeah. with all the work that we do in life. And there are virtues and there are things that hold us back in every aspect of human life. So human personality. So if someone has uh, naturally those qualities or well, the flip side of those qualities, is there can be a lack of yang, as we discussed, that prevents them from getting to center and having a bit more of that masculine energy, that power energy, that go, 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 that, okay, I'm going to take, I'm not going to people please as much. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to be more selfish. It's really interesting how people perceive mindfulness. It's like everybody would benefit from finding their center because when we're at our center, we're at our best. I completely agree. I've done some of that myself. So I, I relate to that very much. And I think people listen to this world, you know, everybody's in slightly got one or more of the other, but just because somebody seems calm, in very stressful situations, doesn't always mean that they are. And their body reacts to their authentic state at that time. So you can seem calm, but your body inside is still reacting the same way as if you were kind of 
from externally showing those signs of stress. And if you are very good at masking that over a long period of time, and you might have had to do that in different situations, it could be sport, it could be business, it could be military, it could be whatever it is, and you've presented that version of yourself to the world, you can eventually develop chronic injuries from it because your body is still tensing inside. I've spoken to physios about this, doctors about this, is that some of those manifestations of back pain or hip pain are actually also to do with how your body stresses itself from the inside when you're presenting a calm face to the world. Mm, so true. And so therefore, transparency in this quest of, of balance yeah. is so important, isn't it? Mm. Being transparent, being open, being able to say, this is how I feel, this yeah. is what's going on, allows that energy to pass through. There's a great Robert Holden quote, which is, there's only one goal a feeling has, and it's to be felt. Yeah. And so if we allow feelings to be felt and to be seen by others, we allow them to pass and we don't store them inside. But it is fascinating. It's amazing because people do make such assumptions about how people are. They say, oh, you know, well, such and such is just, you know, they're always calm. They're never going to have a, a funky surf and, or a funky time on land or they're going to. And it's just not the case. When you see someone performing well and doing well and, and really thriving in most areas of like the amount of work going unseen into that is really great. And it's why it's, very, it's really unfair to ever say that Joe has just got it like that because you've really completely discounted the tremendous amount of work they've done and also then in some ways we use that then as a shield to not look within ourselves to be able to go yikes what do i need to do because i know i'm not thriving in these areas and so i need to go wow well actually <laughs> i'm not doing my stretching i'm not actually dialing in my nutrition i'm eating too much sugar let's say i'm you know the various things going on i'm not getting to bed on time for at the moment i'm, I'm spending too much time at the pub or whatever it might be and you've got to be able to look back within and go, this way I'm living now is affecting my surfing and I've got to rein that in. I've got to find a way of getting back that stoke, that magic. There's never a destination on that. There's never a point where we go, oh, yeah, that's it. I've, I've got it fucking nailed. I've just had the surf of my life. I'm just about to go back to a beautiful, warm energy home to loved ones and a healthy meal. And I know I'm going to eat well to you know. My body feels good da, 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 and, and work's going well and I'm going to be able to surf here, here and here and you've dialed all that in and whatever. And you think you've got it there and then bang, suddenly <laughs> something, just some shit will hit the fan again because you're just never, ever going to avoid challenges. They, I, yeah, they will come and they will come and they will come and you will come off the wagon again. And then it's the only way, the only way to get back on the wagon is to actually get off it. That jostling, that toing and froing is the journey. It's a dance, isn't it? So, And it links back to what we said at the beginning is that within that is always this temptation to go and compare yourself to other people. But in the same way that like we were saying there's no destination, it's always a continual improvement. Who are you comparing yourself against? Well, if you compare yourself against yourself, you can gauge whether or not you're improving. Never mind what those other people are. Those people aren't going to make the improvements for you, as we said last show. You're going to make those improvements based on maybe their advice or their expert coaching, but you're the one who takes that advice, puts the hard work and the practice in, and then you can see whether or not you've improved against yourself from day to day. Very nice. Simple as that. Very nice indeed. Signal number three, Mind Body Stoke. Things Liam and I have been working on to raise the stoke. For me, mentally... Uh, I want to mention something on lifestyle because the surfing lifestyle is about creating one that gives you as much room and opportunity for going surfing as possible within the remit of keeping family, 
well and healthy, keeping your, your own body well and healthy, uh, work stable and blah, 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 blah. Carry on where you will. To try and squeeze out every last drop out of that surfing lemon, you know, just as much as possible. But, and this is the big one, <laughs> stuff's going to get in the way. So that's obvious. That's the injuries. That's the, the family commitments. It's the work. It's the this. It's this, this stuff that's going to get in the way. And when it gets in the way, what I need to be careful of not doing is then comparing that stuff getting in the way into how things used to be. This rose-tinted spectacle thing that we can do sometimes where before I had kids, I used to better just surf my brains out. And of course I was happier because I'd then just go to a restaurant that night and just eat what I want. And then we'd just, you know, live freely the next morning. Where should we surf? What should we do? Da, da, da. And, and the other day, in fact, the other, not even the other day, it was yesterday. I had this really nice day out, really nice day out, beach day out. And we had this little tent on the beach and had the board there. It wasn't great surf, but there was a bit of a wave. And I went out on my new board and it was this little mal thing, which is great, by the way, mini mal, like kind of mid-lengthy vibes. It was great. It was really fun. But the kids were on the beach. And by about minute 40, I looked at the clock and I went, yeah, I bet it's it's about time to start. You know, if Al, my wife, had been surfing and I'd been sat just with the kids, I'd start to think, okay, well, is he going to start coming in soon? So I did, came in. You come away from those kind of days and that little bit of mental aspect kicked in later that day where I sort of sat there. My wife had gone to bed and I was just sat there before watching a little bit of YouTube. And I was like, yeah, fuck. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, geez. That was such a little surf today. And years ago, I just used to be able to just get so many more in. And I kind of was, I was really pondering and I was going, geez, is it, do you just have to accept that you're not going to be as happy? Or, or actually, is it that if you really focus on what kind of day you've had, you've had a great day and you're now just using a natural bias, which we all use from your past against your presence. We all do this. We use this bias. Everyone's biased. Everybody is naturally biased. So of course it was that it was that I was I was just comparing two times in my life that foolish to compare anyway it's completely different but also it's comparing the negative or the or the or the challenge should we call it versus the positive so obviously the positive is always going to win it's ridiculous how about comparing a great thing with a great thing well again there's no comparison but even if you did it you could go oh yeah it's just great in a different way yeah this is so true about life it's the ultimate truth that it will just remain in a constant change and a constant flux no matter what. So you have to find a way of growing in flexibility around your surf lifestyle as you get older. And in some ways, it's like it can go the other way too for some people where they've suddenly got got too much time to go surf and there's no one to go surf with them. There's always going to be challenges that come up in that surf lifestyle. So I think it's about accepting those challenges. At least this is for me. But also at the same time, be grateful for what those challenges are creating and giving you and those pockets that you are getting. It's that blend of the two. It is. And family is a big thing. I mean, we'll probably do a whole new show on this, but family and surfing and commitments and surfing, which kind of tie into the same thing, are massive because they have a huge impact on your surf life from before you had them to when you have family and and those kind of commitments and the responsibilities that come with that. But you're right, Will, comparing, as we've talked about a lot through the show, is is never going to be anywhere a fair comparison anyway because, you know, your bias as a human when you look back at past experiences is towards those past experiences because we crave that certainty and those past experiences are certain. They're safe because nothing bad's going to happen in that experience. It's happened. You're often looking at it as a good one reference point when you're wishing you were back there. It's the certainty that your human condition is craving opposed to the 
uncertainty of the here and now, but the embracing of the here and now and only ever seeing that this is the only thing that exists, that's gone. The past, you know, it's the, what's the Hawaiian thing that you talk about in your book, the Ho'oponopono, where if you cut the cords of the past, so you're only looking at them present at any time, there's a contentment that sits with that because you're not looking back and comparing yourself. doesn't mean you haven't had a great life and a great time. You're on a hiding to nothing if you compare the certainty of something that's already gone before and the rose-tinted view of that, because it's only an interpretation of the event. In the presence of that, and I think Eckhart Tolle talks about this as well, in the present moment that that past was once, you could easily have been doing the same thing. And there's the kind of insanity in it, is that during the moment that you now look back on with this fondness, there would have been times during that here and now that you go, oh, I wish I was doing that, I wish I was doing that. But the mind forgets all that stuff because it's taken it to the, it's applying that methodology to the here and now and trying to ruin your moment for you. So true. This is, there's so much <laughs> of the shite and the challenge yeah. that we completely bypass. Yes. We don't store that stuff. Although we, in, in, if this, it was huge, yeah, we big, store big it. Negatives, but, yeah. but most of we don't. So yeah. it's so, so unfair to do. But is there anything you want to share, dude, on, on mind-body? You know, I've been a very ethical eater. So I've, you know, very tried to reduce meat consumption tried to be very much more mindful about the things I'm eating. And, and that is a huge part of how I'm trying to live. So kind of more local, as local as I can get when I'm sourcing things like ingredients and the quality of food and so on. But I have recently to try and kind of, especially with some of the training that we're doing, and I, I sort of fairly sort of a little bit lower on the, on the sort of iron levels, I've introduced uh, occasional, very local grass-fed uh, red meat, one of the farmers, where it's from, and eating that like, once or twice a month. And whether it's the sort of placebo effect of thinking, oh, I think this will do me good. But so far, I feel better. It's controversial for me because um, my eldest of veggie, uh, I was kind of very pesky, tarian focused. Nutritionally, I know there were probably things uh, missing from that diet that I was, you know, doing my best to kind of uh, avoid. I've kind of gone back to that as best I can and, and it's it's interesting because you know I'm very grateful for the sacrifice that that you know that cow has had to make for me to eat the meat but life is about life and death isn't it and the nutrition that that brings and the well-being that that brings if that's worth it then that's what I'm sort of trying at the moment so just to see if that helps improve things and so far yeah it feels great really cool. so it's it's you know it's the mission of that that's been a, a kind of something i've wrestled with for a while but um i'm giving it a go and it, and it, and it is working especially really? as we're now because you know mind body stuff doing more with uh, kettlebells which we've both yeah. become a yeah. bit obsessed with sort of combining that nutrition with the kind of weight intensity that's going with that it is all about the feeling that for me at the moment feels really good really good yeah. dude. and you could see it in your turns from the yeah. rest of wave your turns are deeper you're carving into that bowl harder so your glutes quads hams are firing together yeah so you're able to compress mm. and extend mm. more powerfully because the, those muscles are, are firing. And in order for muscles to fire, you've got to get the nutrition right because if you're going to repair those glutes, hams, etc., from training, in particular, that protein needs to be there. Protein comes in many sources and someone that eats a vegan vegetarian diet, they can do brilliantly, brilliantly on it. Others might find that really difficult. It's bio-individuality is the word. If we're able to completely remove any old system of belief around food for one moment and just treat it incredibly mindfully we can find ourselves going through phases of foods and different approaches all the way through our lives and, and it can be so different to this idea of it being that diet 
quote unquote, like, oh, I am a vegan or I am just doing paleo. Well, how about, you know, there's a day of you doing that vegan bit because it just, that day you did, you didn't even think about it on today, I'm a vegan. You just went, no, I'm, yeah, I'm craving that and go with that. And then, and then the evening you went, no, no, I'm, no, I'm craving that still that yeah. day. And then the next day, oh, I'm really craving a steak. I'll have that for breakfast or like, whatever. You live that mindfully, you will definitely thrive the most because you you get such a broad range of nutrition in your, in your body. On on the meat front in general, it is a huge myth. And I say this is a big statement, but it's a huge, huge myth. This, this contribution to um to global warming that comes from cows, and it's really worth checking out the information on that because if you do some reading on people like um Joel Saladino or Joel Joel Saladin is his name, Paul Saladino, who we yeah. mentioned before, Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf talks about this book. He's, he's, he wrote a book called The Sacred yes, Cow. Yeah. And he wanted to write that in response to a lot of the hate that he was getting from the vegan community about professing the benefits of red meat, which are vast and go yeah. into things like, you know, L-carnitine, which is an amino acid yeah. that helps burn body fat and is very good for my mitochondrial health. You've got heme iron, which is yeah. most bioavailable form of, of iron. You've got a number of, you've got creatine, which yeah. is phenomenal for mental health. B12, Neurotransmitter choline. release, choline. There's, um, there's also the, there is a marker for me. There's a difference. I think industrially farmed animals of any sort yeah. is a big, that is a problem on both, you know, uh, wastage and welfare. If it's a local farm where you know the welfare of the animals is uh, high and actually the air miles of that food are zero, <laughs> Like literally you go from, it could be a, a mile between field and plate. It's not even the same conversation, is it? Nowhere near the same. And, no. and when you have an animal, what's happened with cattle in particular is that they've been bundled into these, these huge herds and so unnaturally. Mm. So they're picking up a lot of infections mm. and they're being treated very, very poorly. And then they're supplying this unconscious demand for red meat that takes place in mostly places like, I mean, really truthfully, yeah. US. Yeah. And that's another whole topic. I won't go down, but bringing it back to just the basics of, you know, what happens there is you get this humongous amount of methane taking place in these lots. And when you then compare that with mindful agriculture and local farms and farms where they have a, um, a number of ruminant animal, animals on, on one field, they then move on to another field and so on. When they crap on the field they were just on, that grass absolutely thrives and that goes into the soil. Now, soil has been proven to sequent more carbon than anything. So if you're improving the soil quality of, of the land in general across the globe from animals that are going through what's called field rotation and it's mindful, and you're also then being mindful about consumption and not wanting to eat 15 burgers a week, but some red meat here and there like we all do because we need the nutrition, then you, you're starting to find a balance because everything's about balance. But the thing that gets lost in today's culture of making things black and white and extreme yeah. and social media the way it is, is that it just gets taken way out of proportion, out of context. It gets blown up to be something that it's not. And, and really, if you go really down to the root causes of where a lot of these things come from, is corruption, power, government. Always that. And money. Because it's always back, comes back Amen. to money. And so you, you look at what happens in the States in particular with in particular monocrop agriculture. And I know Joe Biden at the moment is really trying to drive home plant-based this, plant-based yeah. that, what we call pseudo burgers, yeah. et cetera, which are really, really void of nutrition compared to a real burger. Not to say there's anything wrong with a bean burger yeah. or a lentil burger. They're great, but I'm talking about these yucky, you know, corn, soy, processed shite burgers that get packed together, that get being sent off. Is the type of agriculture that is going into that process is destroying the land. And then that land is void of nutrition. That land, that soil, yeah. consequent carbon. So it's one of those conversations, you, you, know, you know, when you're with a really mindful human, I believe, 
when there's not this black and whiting of things like nutrition, well, but uh, finely middle, middle, middle. Of anything. You know, I think the, the world we now live in, sadly, and this is where it moves away from mindfulness, even though we crave it and we're looking back to try and achieve something resembling, I believe and I hope, nuanced debate and broad thinking. And there isn't like one narrative for anything. And social media and the way that we kind of almost have structured the, the controlling dialogue of the day, whatever you're talking about, is almost two different opposing sides, the extremes of both sides shouting abuse at each other over the people probably in the middle who are going, actually, there's more to all of this than these two idiots on each side of this debate throwing insults at each other or throwing shit at each other. So if we could sit and look at the fact that, you know, there aren't two sides to every argument, there's maybe three or four sides to every argument. If you look at every single thing you encounter in that way, you see that there are different ways of looking at every problem and also different ways of coming up with the solutions to go with it. There is as much damage done in any, like you say, industrial complex, whether it's providing plant-based processed food to the world or industrially farmed animals to the world. If it's all about massive profits and maximizing those profits and industrialization of the process, damage is being done however you do it because that stuff's flying around the world as big factories required to make it. If you're sort of living a fairly mindful life in your own little bubble, like most of, you know, when we talk about, sometimes we're just reminding ourselves how we used to live, you go, actually, there's nothing really of huge consequence happening in this very small radius of where I live. If everybody lived that mindfully, ate what they needed, did that, you know, there are solutions to it that are more nuanced than just saying, right, everybody's going to live this way. It's really, really good. And I think what we're going to do on food is really have enough self-awareness of what we're afraid of doing around it yeah, that could take us to the next levels of wellness and therefore our surfing. And what I mean by that is when humans get into a set of habits, anything that breaks that habit is outside of comfort zone. And there's nothing that we love more in the comfort zone department than the foods that we are used to, that we agree with, that we like. Mm. Except what can happen with that massively is we lose out on huge nutritional benefits and wellness benefits that can make and transform our surfing. So it takes a very, very mindful human to be able to go, yeah, actually, I'm not doing that with my nutritional approach because I'm actually afraid. There's a bit of a block there and a fear because I've gotten so into this pattern I'm in that now what I've done is engineer everything that I've created about the me, the my, the I that I put out to the world, my ego, that's now in what's called a self-protective mechanism. I can't break from that because if I do, it's now breaking the structures that I've built for myself and how I'm trying to present myself. And I'm just as much a part of that as anybody else when I'm saying this, yeah. because I eat my way and I know that there's flaws in that. So as we go through this journey, it's being so open to it all. And I'm so encouraged by the conversations we have, dude, and by you, the listener, listening to this and hopefully being interested in what we're saying, because I take faith in this, that despite these very uncertain times, there are so many people who are just like you who are balanced, are open to, to nuance and grey area and debate and doing it all calmly and without aggression yeah. and with, with happiness still and understanding and love. And there are so many more of these people in this world than you realise. And I think take faith in that because we're in this quite divisive stage in, yeah. in history, yeah. if maybe if not the, the most yeah. divided. But yikes, there are so many people out there like you. And, and I think that's, um, it's super important to know that that's the case and have faith in that, I think. Have faith that we live in a friendly universe. 
and stay there. Boom. Well said. As Albert Einstein yes. once said. Segment number four, a bit of surf media. Um, and there's a number of things to mention. We just want to mention Torren Martin because he's got his latest segment out where he travels down the Atlantic coast pumping waves. And how fucking good does Morocco look? Yeah. Holy cow. If you are a regular footed surfer and you ride a 7-0 pintail like twin, twin. Fin. <laughs> and you don't mind riding near the nose because they, they are amazing for barrel riding those yeah. things believe it or not that once you set your line on those things the pin holds mm. the pintail because you can get near the nose you can sink that rail and you just get slotted you're just going in a straight line as quick as you can i love his surfing if you love all that my god you're going to love these this segment we're going to leave the whole bit in the show notes the Torre martin series on this atlantic drive that they do down the coast holy cow though if you want a lullaby <laughs> If you want to fall asleep, I could have Torrance here right now and I would wax absolutely lyrical about, dude, I love your surfing. Yeah. I love your vibe. But dude, and I don't even want to say the word but, but is a negative. And, yeah, that's a better word. Torrin, you have the most sleepy inducing voice. Well, it's just the calming vibe, the whole thing. And I'm, I'm knackered on a Saturday. Usually what I do is I'm on the beach with this, these sort of uh, surf life-saving clubs on a Saturday morning from like 8.30 until 1. Get home, have, a, have some lunch. And then I think, oh, I'll watch a bit of surf on YouTube or Ombi or something. And Torren, great surfing. But there's a cadence to the whole show, the ups and downs. And yeah, you're engaged in the wave, but it's hypnotic. And the next thing, I've woken up and it's played about six or seven other surf videos. And I'm like, hey, wait, what happened to Torrent? It just no. sends me to sleep. Yeah. Even though I love the surf, it's, it, I, it's great. Then it's segue to that advert that seems to be on YouTube constantly, which yeah. is that person advertising something to do with some special weight loss technique. It seems to always be some kind of like... Exactly. Dude, I want to mention two things actually before, because I almost forgot this and I put it out there myself on social media yesterday on our feed believe it or not. We have been back on. And I can't find it at the moment, but it was about naked surfing. I'll dig it out again. I forget who did it. And I, they've beaten you to it. It's All a I surf photographer in, in Scotland and his pal went out and whoo, it's cold up there as well. Some nudie surfing. All I can say is don't get a boner. Oh my God. You don't have, we've done well there. The whole show. a boner. Yeah. Just going to completely throw off your rail game. As you cut back, it'll be twanging and wobbling and smacking you in the tummy and then it just oh mate can you imagine how off balance you would be girls haven't got to think about this although the thing with girls is they've got holy the boobies holy, holy and moly. that could be a I little factor so once they're swinging 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 in your cutbacks i think that it would be lovely to yeah. do naked surf and we discussed this before i don't think i want to paddle behind you that's all <laughs> when we do it not if, oh, but when. we've done so well in this show. You've got oh. what I would call the Irish cave. Yeah. So <laughs> you have these Irish jeans, you're very hairy. You've got this. I'm not actually that bad. It's my legs reasonably hairy. hairy. You've got nice hairy legs. I can just envisage this hairy cave kind of oh, just. Oh, you are a horrible person. Coming back at me. You've well, ruined what I was going to say what? about other people now. You've actually ruined the moment. <laughs> it took me 60 minutes to get to. Uh, I actually held back. There's a few I moments. I was about to I wish. There's a few moments today when I was, was going to go. I was about to wish Barton Lynch and Tom Ewart a happy birthday. Nice. Barton for being the Stoke machine that he is. Yeah. Bringing joy everywhere. And Tom, all-round good guy who was on the show uh, last year. Two legends. Um, two legends. Absolute legends, yeah. both of them. But yeah, naked surfing. I want to do it. Be great. If anybody can uh, help Will achieve his goal of naked surfing, 
please write into the show. Please write in. And if you happen to be the Swedish netball team, then uh, yeah, it's... email this. Uh, well, I'll reveal. I'll tell you, tell you about it afterwards. Um, <laughs> guys, thanks so much for. Uh, it's for been tuning. a joy. Ciao, ciao. Bye.